G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Robert Shaw. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the Round 18 Review and a big few days of football, big ramifications for the top eight and for the top four in particular. The race has really tightened up at the top of the ladder. This podcast always proudly brought to you by Palmerbet, our wonderful official podcast partners. You get tackle-busting benefits all this AFL season, thanks to Palmerbet. Uh, always remember, of course, to gamble responsibly. As I say, very good evening to my, I don't know why I want to say erstwhile. It doesn't really mean what uh, a lot of people think it means, so I won't say it. And I'll just say very good evening to my podcast co-host, Mr. Robert Shaw, how are I don't you? know what it means either, mate. So good evening to you, <laughs> Rowan, and um, what a uh, what an extraordinary ladder you've got in front of you there. Well, it is. When I say tight at the top, I'm not uh, I'm not just throwing words around for the sake of it because just two games separate top from seventh. So seven teams, all with realistic top four aspirations, still. Um, several of them with some pretty tough runs home. And then we've got the race for eighth spot. Uh, certainly fair to say those top seven teams are as good as in. So uh, Carlton, unless they go right off the rails, will be playing finals for the first time since 2013. But the race for eighth spot still really tight as well because uh, just one win separating the eighth place team from the 12th place team on the AFL ladder. So five sides really gunning for that eight spot. So two uh, very tight races in one as we count down the final five rounds of a season. It's set up for a titanic struggle in the uh, in the run home, isn't it? Yeah, it looks like uh, going on today's results, uh, a very disappointing St Kilda. Um, Gold Coast may in fact have their run. Uh, you saw the result a lot. A good Essendon side at Marvel, playing exciting brand of football, but the Gold Coast coming off those three really tight wins, chasing a 40-point deficit last week, getting on a plane. Um, I'm going to be very interested to see how they finish off the year. Western Bulldogs, good. And, of course, uh, Port, despite going down to Melbourne, are still in with a chance. So it's a good season, a good competitive season for sure. Uh, and then we're eight points away to 13th position with Hawthorne. We can write off 13th down to 18th right now. Uh, just a minor correction. You don't mean three wins to the Suns. You mean three tight games. They lost the first two, won uh, the yeah. third. Well, but... I, I'm always being corrected by you. because um, I think you know what I mean. Three tight games. They lost two mean. and then... Chase down a 40-point deficit. They weren't going to do that today. They were flat and tied. They anyway, were. keep going. We'll, we will talk about that game in detail yep. in due course. That was the final game of the round 
Friday night seems like a long time ago, but that's where it all began with a big game, uh, uh, virtual elimination final between the Western Bulldogs and St Kilda. So let's start this review back then. On Footyology, wrap around. First game of round 18 was on Friday night at Marvel Stadium, billed as a mini elimination final. And uh, one side, in the end, pretty decisive victors. That was the Western Bulldogs, who beat St Kilda by 28 points in the finish. The final scores, a very accurate Western Bulldogs, 13-6-84, defeating a very inaccurate St Kilda. 7-14-56. The goal kickers for the Doggies. Three to Jamara Hagen, uh, as opposed to Jamara Ulhagen. Just thought I'd slip that <laughs> one in. Uh, two goals to Bontempelli. Singles, the rest. Good spread of goal kickers for the Doggies. Ten individual goal kickers for the Saints. Two to Max King and singles. The rest, well, Rob, yet another game decided very early in the piece. The Western Bulldogs, uh, who themselves were jumped last week, this time it was their turn to do the jumping. They kicked the first seven goals of this game, five goals to none in the first quarter, and then another two after that. The Saints, just too many mistakes. They did work their way into the game, and had they been able to kick, were perhaps a sneaky chance early in that last quarter, but four goals, five in the last quarter, they kicked to 1-1 one, one to uh, shoot themselves in the foot again and a uh, late one to the Doggies just settling things. And the upshot is that uh, the Dogs, well, they they have now leapfrogged St Kilda in this race for eighth spot. And the Saints, who reached the halfway point of a season 8-3, they have now dropped five of six games since the mid-season bye and uh, looking pretty shot to ribbons. How do you see it? I don't know. How do you see a last quarter comeback when you've been comprehensively, uh, I'd say embarrassed? Game plan, effort, um, you know, the first seven goals without giving you a yelp, Rowan, in, in a game where... Um, Look, you put it mildly. I reckon mildly an elimination final. This this was for the whole box and dice, and um, I, I think they were non-competitive. They were non-competitive, uh, the Western Bulldogs. And may, may we say, because quite rightly, we've just had a fraction of a question mark on Bontempelli, not over his career, but certainly over a, a body of work this year. But he was dominant, and... Um, uh, which was really good to see, and he played a significant role. And a couple of other players that you've mentioned or we have mentioned on our program that uh, have been missed, we've spoken about Caleb Daniel, yeah. but given the form of this young gentleman on a halfback flank, uh, Ed Richards is a critical player for this team. He played a, he played an excellent game, Ron. Well, he's probably, uh, I reckon if you look at the pluses for the Doggies this year, he's almost the biggest one, probably the most improved Player Matt List, Eugle Hagen's form encouraging, three goals. Uh, I think an equal personal best for him. The other uh, interesting one, too, was in their defence. Ryan Gardner uh, was pretty good on Max King. Um, Alex Keith, as dependable as ever, but they might have found one in Buku Kamas, who was deployed down back. And I thought gave him a fair bit of drive. I thought he was well, impressive, too. 
Yeah, there's two two ends to that side, uh, Karmas and, uh, of course, Richards. And, and whenever Richards and Daniel play or play together, gee, it takes a lot of pressure off Bailey Dale, who came back to a lot of form. Um, we cannot do this podcast without – and I'd, I'd like to think that we – we would look at the midfield for the All-Australian side and look at specific behaviours or specific strengths. Um, And Tom Liberatore continues to get the job done, clean, organised, always double figures clearance and always at the bottom of the pack. Um, Yeah, I'll just give his numbers, 31 disposals uh, and 11 clearances on Friday night. Well, they name a, an AA squad, don't they, Rowan? And then they yep. cut it down to a an AA, well, loosely called a team. Yeah. Um, gee, I hope he's in it. Um, they dominated because of him. Forty-one to twenty-one clearances, twelve to eight out of the centre bounce. Um, the, we've got to give the dogs a big tick because they had it done to them the week before. First seven goals, but uh, you know it. Like there'll be an investigation in one of the papers where to the Saints and what's happened to St Kilda. They've got Jack Steele back into the side. They had, even though Ryder did a calf, they've had Ryder and Marshall. They've got King down forward with Membry. Um, they got nothing out of their small forwards, Higgins and um, uh, Baker, isn't it? Yeah. No, um, Butler, sorry. Yeah. No, which is Butler and Baker. Uh, Butler, Help me out, Butler's Ron. at St Kilda, Baker's at Richmond. Butler yeah, gotcha. used to be at Richmond. They're both premiership players. Yeah, so nothing out of their small men, whereas um, the Western Bull, I, I love the move of Karmas. It's yeah. come out of left field. Uh, we haven't followed the VFL role, so I'm not sure whether he'd be trialled there when he got dropped back, but that's that's a very good move. It's given them three tools. Yeah, well, the doggies now uh, on equal uh, points with... Uh, Richmond and St Kilda. Um, now, just a word on St Kilda because we were praising them for their resilience earlier in the season. Uh, gee, they've certainly lost that, haven't they? Um, oh, they've gone, you know, and like their game style. Uh, the Western Bulldogs pressured them. Uh, there's a stat that I saw, Ron, that they had 100 uncontested marks back of centre. Wow. Back of centre, you imagine that sort of game style. Now, that's a big tick for the dogs for cramping them in there and not allowing them an outlet pass, but also indecisive and give me the ball and I'll kick it back to you. And and, and they've moved Hill back behind the ball again. I thought one of their winning moves early on when they were eight and three was Hill forward of the ball, playing as that high half forward. Look, we're not privy to what's going on behind closed doors. We can't only look, but that that's an astonishing stat, 100 uncontested marks behind centre. You're just wasting your time doing that. You're not going anywhere and you're just playing into the hands of the the Bulldogs' press and zone. Yeah, well, I'm just having a look at their run home. Uh, the Saints, they've got West Coast in Perth next week. Uh, winnable. They've got Hawthorne. They've got Geelong at Geelong. Then they've got Brisbane. They've got Sydney. So I think the last three games are going to sort them out, even if they recover some form over the next two weeks. Uh, the Doggies, who are now into ninth place after that win, well, they meet uh, another big challenge coming up next week. They have got Melbourne at Marvel Stadium, that one on Saturday evening, 7.25pm. So uh, the race for that last spot in the eight continues with a number of contenders, all with pretty tough tasks on their hands. 
All right, that was Friday evening. Uh, big Saturday of football. Let's talk about that now. Couple of afternoon games on a Saturday. Uh, one of them in Adelaide, a pretty wet and windy Adelaide, and it was a big milestone game for one man, uh, an ornament to the game. It's fair to say that well-worn cliche, but Collingwood skipper Scott Pendlebury played his three hundred and fiftieth game, and not for the first time uh, this season, uh, he had to sweat on the result, as did the. Magpie Army. Collingwood have now had eight games this season decided by 11 points or less. Fortunately for the Pies, unlike a lot of those grand finals in the past, they have won seven of them, including this one. It was a thrilling five-point win to the Pies over a game, Adelaide, it should be said. The final scores, Collingwood 14-7-91, defeating the Crows 13-8. 86, the goal kickers, that young man, that Tyro, Nick Dacos, did it again. What a game. Three goals along with the career-high 40 disposals, if you don't mind. Brody Majacek, two goals. Two goals to Johnson, who chipped in and did his bit for the Pies as well. Singles the rest. And again, another good spread of goal kickers, 10 individual goal kickers. And for the Crows, uh, that man, that veteran, ageless, Taylor Tex Walker, five goals to him, three goals to Lockie Murphy, two goals to Fogarty, and a singles the rest. Well, they keep uh, giving their supporters heart attacks, Rob, but the Pies, they just keep getting the job done. Doesn't matter how you win, if you win. Yeah, and what's that, eight in a row run or, or nine in a row? Facing Essendon at the Melbourne Cricket Ground next week. So eight, eight in a row. Eight in a row. Does it come crashing down? That's the thing. Or can it? Can you go to another level, level given the fact that uh, we know the Essendon-Collingwood game is going to be a good game of football and it's going to be pretty close because it traditionally is at that venue. So it's going to be interesting to see uh, whether this bites into them, this constant... And it's a great it's a great credit to them and a great characteristic to win the close ones. But history tells me at some stage it becomes a little bit too much, Rowan, and you yeah. you might hit a big wall and a big pothole. I hope not. Well, the thing about that is that they've won a lot of those games in different sort of ways. Now, this was a, a really tough game with an incredible stat, uh, which was the tackle count, which finished oh. 127 to Collingwood and 108 to Adelaide. How many times have both sides recorded 100-plus tackles in history? It was tough conditions, mate. It was a great game in those conditions. A terrific game. Yeah, it was. It was. It was a high-quality game, and uh, as you can tell from the scores, uh, you know, it wasn't one of those slog fests where no one can kick a goal. Uh, Look, Collingwood certainly had the more opportunity. They won the inside 50 count, 61 49, but they did come from behind. In fact, uh, Adelaide were uh, about three goals up at one stage pretty late in the third quarter, but the Pies slammed on the next four goals. They themselves looked like uh, they were going to win with a bit to spare. They were 16 points up with, I think, about seven minutes to go. Adelaide found a couple of late goals. They were two goals in a minute, the first one from Murphy, and then Big Tex kicking his fifth. 
and uh, a heart-stopping finish. But like I said, they got over the line. Uh, the Crows, Rory Laird, as so often is the case, was their leading disposal winner, 31 touches for him. Um, so they did find something after a pretty dismal little spell, the Crows. And uh, Collingwood, yeah, well, uh, how are they travelling? Are they good enough to mix it with the top of the ladder? No one seems to think so, but however it finishes for them, there's so many pluses out of this year for them. Nick Dacos. It's got to be the best debut season we've seen since Chris Judd, perhaps even including Chris Judd. Well, the fact that you're linking him with Chris Judd's first year in AFL says it all. I think he's been outstanding. I uh, I was I'm, I just couldn't do it, Rowan. I was, and we saw it last night. We'll get onto that game later, but uh, I was tempted to put uh, De Koning as my number one rising star, but. Uh, this, this bloke forces you to change that opinion despite my great admiration of the young Geelong fullback. Um, he's been outstanding. Uh, and as has at the other end of the scale, a man that came off a a, uh, a very concerning um, uh, confrontation with the young gentleman concerning uh, racist comments. He was penalised. Now... Coming back from that is probably as bad as what you, you've got it on your shoulders, haven't you, Ron? And what can you do about it? You can do your best for your team, you can lead your team, and you can play good football and try and turn public perception around by by having a good year of football. We don't know what he's doing in the community. We can only assume, but Tex Walker has had a magnificent year for them, and the fact that they have uh, quickly signed him is a testimony to uh, what I think is a, an excellent comeback off the field for a, for a very remorseful, remorseful and embarrassed young man. And uh, that's all he can do, Rowan, and uh, they want him to go on and good on him. But five goals was a superb effort, and Adelaide were excellent. They were very good, and I think we both tipped Collingwood, but didn't we... Or I might have actually tipped Adelaide, given the fact that Taylor Adams and Dugowie are out. They need them back. But haven't they found a couple of players? Ash Johnson, 24 years of age, 193 centimetres from Sturt. Josh Carmichael through the the mid-season draft, 22, another 190 centimetres. So they've done well to replenish those stocks of uh, tall forwards, Rowan. Well, Collingwood have done well picking up those two, certainly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and the Pies also, Lipinski, a good pickup for them as well. So they keep finding them. Uh, let's talk about next week for both these sides. Uh, first of all, the Crows. They have got Sydney at the SCG. That is the Saturday afternoon game, 1.45 p.m. And the Magpies, you mentioned it. They've got uh, that, well, two a year of these, one Anzac Day. This is the return bout up against Essendon. That game is on Sunday afternoon at the MCG. 3.20, Collingwood's winning run now. Eight, Eight. and they make it nine against the Bombers. Time History tells you you don't. In, in, the, in, in this, like in the older days, you know, you had teams on the bottom, hadn't won a game, and, uh, yeah, we had Melbourne doing what they did last year. Collingwood aren't in that level of what Melbourne did or what Essendon did in 2000, for example, uh, they're not at that level. So I'm going to be intrigued as whether they do have a flat spot and need a flat spot to regenerate. They do have Adams and Dugowie out. Uh, who else? Uh, Moore came back, didn't he? 
Yep. So, um, in, intriguing couple of weeks for the Pies. It'll be good. It will be indeed. Uh, let's wait and see what happens there. All right. Uh, another game on at 1.45 Saturday afternoon at the same time. Canberra, Manica Oval was the venue for the next game we're going to talk about, and that was between GWS and Brisbane. Uh, GWS, of course, under the caretaker stewardship of former bomber Mark McVeigh. Uh, Brisbane, been a pretty bumpy ride for them over the last couple of months now, very up and down, but they found some form in this game. Brisbane, very comfortable, 40-point victors in the finish over the Giants. The final scores, Brisbane 15-9-99, defeating GWS 9 5 59. The goal kickers for the Lions, four to Hugh McLuggage. He's had a bit of trouble finding the goals over the last couple of years, but he found them in this one. Great game from him. Three to Cameron, three to Rayner, two to Hipwood, two to McStay, and a single to Coleman, rounding out the Brisbane tally. And for the Giants, four to Toby Green, so often a wound hand for them in the goal kicking front, and singles the rest. Well, Brisbane certainly got the jump here, Rob. Four goals to one in the first quarter. Better effort by the Giants in the second term. So just a goal of difference at halftime. But from there, Brisbane really took over with a big third term in which they added five goals to one. Another four goals to three in the final quarter. Untroubled to win. Uh, Lockie Neal, terrific as ever. And Reese, the beast, Matheson. Uh, came back in and certainly had an impact with a pretty impressive game against, it's got to be said, a pretty unimpressive GWS outfit. How did you see it? I'm glad Reese Matheson. I've been pushing out for a couple of weeks, so I'll, uh, I'll, I'll give myself a bit of a tick there. But uh, they certainly needed him last week and the week before. I don't know why they – and as uh, Chris Fagan said, I've got to have a good look at my selection, why I don't pick this bloke. So that's that's good. Twenty three and ten clearances. Uh, there was interesting, Rowan, that you you read out those goal kickers. One of the names you didn't read out was Joe Danaher, who's going through a very flat spot. Um, uh, was disappointing against Laverde, and certainly Taylor tailed him up uh, in in this game. But the even of evenness of class. Uh, McStay got back into goal kicking. Interesting couple of moves from Fagan. They used they usually use Joe Danaher in the ruck. They use McStay yep. as a backup second ruckman, and also another one of those um, uh, Baku Karmas moves with Nakaya Cockatoo going back to a half back flank. Given uh, that they still played without Rich Zorko, Berry, and McInerney, so. The reason I tipped GWS is because I fell for the paper team again. Well, they've got I thought uh, that the Brisbane line issues with COVID and injury, which surely and travelling would surely see a better performance. This this was this was a bad performance. Just on uh, Brisbane, that uh, I think they're working a bit harder at trying to create from the half back line because Coleman. Uh, we've seen move down there, and he was impressive again. Now you try it, throw Cockatoo down there. You've got Rich when he's playing, of course, as a playmaker as well. So um, it's like they're, they're trying to create score sources from different parts of the ground, and I think coming off the half back yeah. probably works pretty well for them. 
Uh, well, they nothing do- get- yeah, sorry. They dominated uh, the opportunities here too. The uh, telling stat, I thought, the inside 50 count, of which they had 58, but the Giants Ooh. ended up with just 35 inside 50. So, they're, you know, Toby Green can only do so much, and he was terrific <laughs> with four goals, but... 35 inside 50s, you know, not much, that big a surprise. They've only ended up with 9-5. And, and playing at your adopted ground and uh, you want to make an impression, McVeigh was very honest in the aftermatch. He said that uh, some of these blokes haven't got their heads in the game, you know, they haven't got their heads in football. Um, Where are they? Yeah, I, I don't know. Well, maybe some of them are, are thinking – you know, maybe it does take a toll that you're not in a football environment, Rowan. Yeah. That yeah. you're an isolated entity in the middle of the strongest stronghold of a rugby league in Australia. And yeah. it's just, you you know, it's different to a boy playing at Melbourne, at Essendon or Collingwood. When you're, you're in the hub, you're in the environment, you're in the passion, you read the Herald Sun every day, you know, and it's footy. Uh, don't forget, they also won the clearances, 49-24. I'm not – was the word surprise? Oh, look, I'm obviously disappointed in GWS. They didn't give a, a shout. Uh, Green, as you mentioned, like the week before, Starsevic's a very good player. He he beat uh, Stringer quite comprehensively. Just shows you what a good player Toby Green is because I rate Starsevic very highly and he, he, he just tried and was their standout player. A couple of honourable exceptions also for the Giants. I thought down back, Sam Taylor, pretty impressive. Yep. I think he had 15 intercepts. Um, and Himmelberg, um, he's, he's, his move down defence has been very successful. But it's sort of like it's a bit robbing Peter to pay Paul because I think he's pretty handy for them up forward. Yeah, there's just something missing there, isn't it? And I guess, uh, you know, it's an interesting comment about not having their heads in the game. I guess their season has been shot for quite a while. Um, it raises some interesting questions about where they're going to go from here. I mean, everyone keeps talking about Alistair Clarkson. Uh, I wonder if some players are just sort of thinking it's a bit of a fait accompli and let's wait and see till we know who's going to be coaches next year, which might be dangerous for their uh, uh, job security, Robert, if they uh, have too many more poor performers. He loves his footy, Clarko. Can you actually see him, for the reasons I just gave, uh, inserting himself into the the greater Western Sydney district as a, you know, could he, could he do a sheedy and give them a bit of a focus? Yeah, even I, th- though- I, I think he could. I think yeah. he could because it's a different sort of challenge to what okay. he's known before. So uh, anyway, uh, let's let's see what happens there. All right, let's talk about what's very on good the Brisbane. Very good next the week. Yep. Well, Brisbane have got a Q clash next week up against Gold Coast. That one big Saturday night clash at the Gabba, seven ten p.m. on the Saturday evening, and the Giants uh, they've got a trip to Melbourne to take on Carlton at Marvel Stadium, that one on Sunday afternoon at 1.10pm. All right, that was the two Saturday afternoon games. And again, uh, a dramatic thriller played out at the Saturday twilight time slot. Let's have a chat about it. Well, dramatic uh, finish, dramatic game, really, at Marvel Stadium. North Melbourne having... Uh, come out of a tumultuous week with the uh, departure of coach David Noble. 
Lee Adams, the man stepping into the breach for the remainder of the season. The Roos having lost 14 games in a row up against Richmond, who themselves had lost the unlosable game against Gold Coast last week. And what happened? Well, the Roos, they broke the drought with a famous win by four points over a damagingly inaccurate Richmond. The final scores, North Melbourne, 14 goals, 8, 92. Defeating Richmond, wait for it, 11, 22, 88. That is 33 scores to 22. And the Tigers have lost the game. Uh, this one, North Melbourne kept kicking straight. Richmond kept kicking inaccurately at halftime, 10, 2 to 3, 12. The Roos got the best part of five goals up. Richmond hit back in the third term with five goals, five goals, four in the third quarter and hit the front late in the piece uh, thanks to a goal by Jack Graham. Uh, you thought, oh, the Roos are going to go down bravely a second week in a row. Lazaro hit the post. And then some incredibly panicky football by both sides in the last couple of minutes. Hugh Greenwood given a free kick in range, took advantage for some reason. The ball went out of bounds. Fortunately, from for the Roos, from the throw-in, Todd Goldstein, copybook, bit of ruck work to Cameron Zerha, who snapped his sixth goal. North Melbourne back in front with two minutes, 40 left. And then young Richmond player Miller kicked out in the full with a minute, 20 left. Uh, Curtis Taylor marked with under a minute left. Could have taken 30 off the clock, <laughs> but for some reason banged it in close to goal. Richmond attacked again, and Jake Arts took a mark about 30 metres out, and for some reason he decided to play on as well with 32 seconds left on the clock and only a rush point eventuated, and North uh, took the kick in and the siren went to scenes of... Uh, absolute ecstasy for the long-suffering Roos fans. Yeah, I just called the uh, last couple of minutes again, but it was pretty pretty amazing. It was like, who wants to win this game, wasn't it, at the end? Well, if it wasn't such an enthralling game and had you on the edge of your seat, you could insert, um, and I'm not being disrespectful, but it was just, you've summed it up, you've given six instances there where you just could have uh, just put in the Benny Hill music and, yep. uh, and the... Um, the nervousness of both sides, one side understandably so and one side quite surprising. You know, the pressure to win for Richmond really did show. We've got a touch because we've, we've, we've seen it for 40 years, the change of a coach and the automatic reaction. I just think Adams did it very well. He made it simple. He put there, um, and this is not a knock, it's just what I always look at what the, op, the new coach does. And the first thing he did is he put Todd Goldstein back in the first ruck. Yeah. As simple as that, Ron. He put Todd Goldstein. So he made a statement there. He said, all I can do is free them up, let them express themselves and encourage them to enjoy themselves. That was his game plan. I think he showed confidence in the young ability. They expressed themselves with more uh, outward passion and enthusiasm I thought they were very they were very keen to play on using handball with any opportunity. I thought that was noticeable personally. Yeah. And and um look, it has been a week from hell and um look I, I you just read the paper, you read the uh, you read the the articles with Robbo and, and Sonia Hood and you read Sam Edmonds stuff saying that 
Um, it came to a head. It was quite obvious what has to happen. Uh, they had to come to an agreement to remove Noble. So um, there's bits of everything. And then you read, look, he cleared the decks very well. I think they did it quite well. I think they put the right bloke in, one of North Melbourne's most popular players, even though Patch would be himself say, look, I was a battler, but he was a good AFL footballer. And and you're right, they were able to express themselves, none more so than the enigmatically brilliant Cameron Zerha that kicked 6-1 and just made a mess of the likes of Miller and even Grimes at times. I want, you mentioned it before, and I've been wondering this myself, because it's two weeks in a row now Richmond has shot themselves in the foot with just, you know, for inventing new ways to lose games. Now they've got a they've got a you know a few younger more inexperienced types, but there's plenty of experience and age in that team. How could a side that's won three flags over the last five seasons stuff it up to this extent? Not just once, but two weeks in a row. Well, last week was forty plus, wasn't it, Rowan? That yeah. was controlling the game against a very good Gold Coast away, and this week was playing. Um, playing against North, who mm. were looking down the barrel of 15 in a row. Um, I can't explain it. Uh, it was nerv- – where, where does nervousness come in with such a experienced team? When can they and, – and, and they're like a team, a, a, a sort of a bottom half of the ladder. Like you see it, Rowan, they play really well, but when the opposition get a sniff of victory, they, they, they become very nervous and panicky. And, and we're talking about Richmond here, folks. We're not talking about um, – a team down the bottom. We're, we're talking about a team that we thought was more than capable of pushing into the top four. Jack Rewalt's kicked two goals, six. They made, and, and for the second week in a row, they made unprofessional and unrichman-like decisions. Yeah. Arts only had to go back, a very good kick for goal, kicked a goal. He saw space and went on. So, um, and I'll tell you what, there was two on one in the goal square and didn't that Mackay, who's gone back to full back, thank goodness, uh, punched that ball through and gave them the opportunity to win. But um, Tarrant did a good job on Larky, but they couldn't hold Zerha, could they? And they couldn't hold uh, Davies Uniaki again. So Jai Simkin was absolutely brilliant in his leadership role. So some really good signs, and I hope it hope it continues. Yeah, no, it was, uh, I think, uh, you know, with all due respect to Richmond, the bulk of the footy world was sort of cheering the Roos home because, uh, gee, it's been an awful season. And it was just great to see... Uh, the scenes in the rooms, the gusto with which they uh, sung the uh, theme song afterwards too. Terrific scenes there. So uh, well done to a lot of people at North and uh, some light on the horizon. Richmond, well, Just a quick one, mate. Just yeah, a quick one. Yeah. Do you agree with the decision based on what you've read, heard, seen and your experience for removing coaches Mid-season, uh, yes, I do. On this okay. occasion, yeah, I think I think the damage had become too great, and it wasn't going to be fixed. Okay, thank you. Uh, yeah. All right, uh, now Richmond. Just quickly, remarkably, uh, they are still clinging to a spot in the eight, and uh, they still have uh, a negotiable run home. So let's see how they deal with it. That starts that run home with a big, massive Friday night game. At Marvel Stadium, 7.50 p.m., they are up against Fremantle and they can't afford to drop a third in a row, it's fair to say. And the Roos, can they make it two in a row? Well, not without a decent shot. They have got a game against their Tasmanian 
co-tenant, if you like, Hawthorne. This one at Blundstone Arena in Hobart, 1.45pm Sunday afternoon. All right, we had two massive Saturday night games. Let's talk about them. Well, much-anticipated clash at the MCG Saturday evening between Carlton, the vastly improved Carlton, and Geelong. And you could almost say the vastly improved Geelong because they are on a big roll. They came into this game having won seven in a row. Great test for the Blues. Good test for the Cats as well. In the end, a a test won handsomely by the more experienced and stronger Geelong outfit, which won by 30 points in the finish, 12 goals, 13, 85, the Cats, two Carlton, eight, seven, 55. The goal kickers for Geelong, three to Cameron, two to Hawkins, two to my boy, Maxie Holmes, and singles to Atkins, Zach Guthrie, Myers, Stanley, and Stengel. For the Blues, three to Kernow and singles, the rest. Well, the Blues uh, certainly started well. They led at quarter time, four goals to three. But from there, Geelong really asserted its credentials. First in terms of, uh, I thought, strength around the contest and then in terms of field position and then in terms of the scoreboard. Four goals to one in the second quarter. Another three goals to one. In the third quarter, so they led by the best part of five goals and then two goals each in the last term and really just playing out of time the last quarter because it never really looked like the Blues were going to make any headway. That is Geelong's eighth win in a row. And tellingly, I think their record against the current top eight is five wins and just two losses. So they're getting it done against the very best players the star forward duo, Jeremy Cameron, Tom Hawkins, very impressive. Skipper, Joel Selwood, absolutely outstanding. That was a classic, tough Selwood game. Zach Tui, impressive down back. Cam Guthrie, Mitch Duncan, Mark Blitzovs, the usual suspects. They are going beautifully, the Cats, and a real football lesson for the Blues, I thought, Rob, in the end. Yeah, but a big tick for Carlton because you've summed that up beautifully, Ron. That last sentence, lesson well learnt. Is this where we are? Not necessarily, but is this where we have to go to? Like um, a couple of final, if Carlton played, oh, hang on, I'll stop, I'll start again. Um, They just got a a really good lesson, and I don't think it's a setback at all. Uh, Geelong's pressure around the contest was as good as I've seen this year. They didn't allow Carlton space. Like, Carlton have been a good contested ball team, a good clearance side, a good pressure type. But they got a good lesson six to seven weeks out for the finals. This this is just – this is great for Carlton and great for Geelong. And it just – there probably is four or five goals the difference between these two sides, everything being equal. I just love the pressure. And what it did, it, it led to – and even though he had a great game, Sard – the number of, not that he did it all the time, but did see how Carlton turned the ball over or couldn't find space inside because they were constantly under pressure. Um, I just love that part of the game. Just digressing slightly, your boy Holmes and Close, aren't they great additions? Aren't they really good footballers for Geelong? We can hear about Cameron and Hawkins and all those sort of things. Blitzarves is probably um, value for money, importance, Oh, look, he's pushing up into their top three or four. 
not only does he ruck and play on the wing, but he's held he's held Cripps to eleven kicks and six ambles, Ron. Mm. What you know, and he's six five in the old scale and hundred kilos. What more do you want from that sort of player? I just think they've improved significantly. Carlton have improved significantly, but we just had a little bit of a reminder based on experience, body size, pressure, and strength that the Blues um, are in a pro- in a learning process. I, th- I think people are going to continue to say about Geelong, oh, I'll wait until the pointy end of a season. But you've got to give them ticks for having covered off the areas where they were vulnerable. And you mentioned uh, Brad Close and Max Holmes. And Max has added run. I mean, he just runs and runs and runs, finds space. And he, he's a good ball user too. I was re- I, Obviously, I watch him closely. The quality of his disposal, he very rarely misses targets and he hit virtually every target last night. I thought he was terrific. Close is that small forward they really need. Brings plenty of pressure, good around goals. They're more versatile. They have the opportunity to throw blitzarves around now. Um, They've found Atkins as an alternative uh, midfielder and they've beefed up their midfield so they can deploy Dangerfield, even Selwood in, in different roles if they so desire. So there's more flexibility for Chris Scott, and I think there's certainly a more mobile, uh, quick across the ground side, and I yep. think they play a more daring brand of footy too. They're definitely prepared to play a faster tempo more often in a game than they used to, and all those things have to make them a much bigger flag chance than they were even last year. I agree. I agree. And and the other thing is um, the way they uh, pay attention to the opposition, you talked about their attacking part of their game, their defensive part of their game, and to, they forced handball, they forced pressure kicks. And if you think back, uh, you've got a, I've got an image of this game, and I haven't got the stat here, and I don't need the stat. The number of times without Tom Stewart that Geelong intercept marked inside their defensive 50, someone... They won the marking contest, didn't they? They were in the right spot because they were able to just minimise Carlton's explosive ball loose. Like Walsh had a good game, but he wasn't commanding. He didn't find space because Atkins was right up his backside the whole game and, and, and applying pressure. Geelong are a very good pressure side. You know, sorry, one thing I should have said in yeah. talking about them too uh, and you've wrapped up Sam DeConing continually, and this is almost his oh. best performance, could absolutely shut Harry Mackay out of the game. But the fact that their defence is that dominant, even without Tom Stewart, who a lot of people would say is the most important part of that defence, it just shows how many tricks they've got up their sleeve now, doesn't it? Oh, mate, it, I, I, I haven't been a big rap for their finals performance, and quite right that Lee Rowan, um, their body of work over two, three, four, five years um, probably still allows the uh, the commentators to say, "Well, let's wait to the finals," and and that's probably fair enough. But if ever a side's done something to eliminate those doubts or eliminate those weaknesses, whether it be youth, whether it be changes of position of players, um, whether it be a greater flexibility. Uh, and 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 their veteran, the use of their veterans is outstanding. And I mean, uh, Dangerfield, not a big role. Selwood, good, yeah, but let's move him half forward. And the one that just keeps working and working is part of the the left foot combination of Cameron is is Smith from yeah. Hawthorne. Yeah, 
he, he just uh, a very, very important player. So I think they've gone to town. They've got a whole new assistant coaching uh, group, which, which to me, keep the coach, change all the assistants. It's just opened up some creativity to Chris Scott's thinking. And, and to, to his credit, he has adapted and yep. adopted. No, good, uh, good point. All right, uh, what's on the agenda next week? Well, another big uh, challenge for the Cats. They have got Port Adelaide in Adelaide. That is a Saturday twilight game, 4.35 p.m. Eastern time, Saturday afternoon. And the Blues, they have a Sunday clash with GWS, that one at Marvel Stadium, 1.10 p.m. Okay. Sunday afternoon. All right, uh, one game remaining on the Saturday. That was in Perth. Another big game at Optus Stadium in Perth brought together two top eight teams, Fremantle up against Sydney. Always uh, a big advantage for the Dockers at home. Big challenge for the Swans, but... The Swannies, they passed it with flying colours. Really impressive win by them. In the end, by 17 points, the Swans. 11-16-82, defeating Fremantle. 9-11-65. The goals, two to young Joel Amati, two to Goulden, two to Papley singles. The rest, and for the Dockers, two each to Schultz, Banfield, Tabernard. Well, uh, look like how far the Dockers at one stage. They were got uh, 23 points up late in the first half uh, or early, sorry, early in the second term. But I reckon this one, Rob, a bit of a coaching triumph for John Longmire because the Swans readjusted their game plan and rather than try and barge through the uh, famed Fremantle defence, they picked their way through with a very careful possession game and there were several really good examples of that where they just hit up leading targets with short kicks, worked their way up the ground and uh, finally, after a bit of inaccuracy, took their chances to end up winning by 17 points and give themselves a really good show of not just making finals but getting the double chance. In fact, five of the last six goals of the game, the Swans kicked. And just to back up what I'm saying about the short possession game, they racked up 127 uncontested marks to Fremantle's 70. Pretty significant. More significant was the 88 after half time. So let's just go into the coach's box. They're 23, they've been 23 down, four goals, like a couple of quick goals, and they're right back into it. But he would have sat them down and said, This is what's happening. This is where we're at, and this is where we're going to go. You're right. Fremantle, now, this is going to create a bit of a template and a bit of a problem for Fremantle. Well, everyone's watching. We're watching it, Rowan. So you can imagine what the opposition people are doing in all these clubs that are around uh, the Fremantle, you know. They're, they're going to be looking and say, geez, that was interesting. You can't barge through Fremantle because their rebound will will – if 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 you if you barge through at pace, they're going to get it and they're going to rebound you every time, and you're going to be out of kilter. What what he did was just a fantastic coaching performance uh, against a very good coach with a very good system. Um, and and yeah, 
take the heat off, let's control the ball, let's take it away from their key play makers. Like Brayshaw, Brayshaw was only seven kicks and 13 handballs. They've denied him the ball on the fast break. And, yeah, absolutely, and not just that. You, you can't carry out the plans without the your own individual talent. And I thought Sydney's talent really shone, none the least, and you know I love this guy, but Chad Warner, he's, he's having some sort of season. Uh, this Mate, was... You are unbelievable. You've you've got Holmes and Warner as yeah. your two this year. You picked them early days. Can you just give us another one? I suppose <laughs> yeah. you're going to claim you're claiming Nick Martin from Essendon, are you? Or well, I don't know, but I should I should be a talent scout. Maybe I should be list manager at a certain northwestern Mate, he's extraordinary. Well, I I know I'm saying this. I know exactly the answer. But where's he come from, Ron? Well, he's elite. He's actually elite. This bloke. Well, I'll give you his numbers, 35 disposals, seven clearances, six inside 50s and a goal. He was smart. He was also tough too. I think you saw his uh, more physical side last night and he had great support too. Callum Mills was terrific, 26 disposals. Luke Parker, 24 disposals. Ollie Florent was terrific as well. And uh, in light, or sorry, in lieu of Buddy Franklin, who was pretty well held by Griffin Logue, you got to say, it was yeah. the Smalls who got the job done with both Papley and Goulden bobbing up with two goals each. I did say in the preview, I thought the ground would suit the Swans. They are a really good running side. And I think that ability to uh, run into space and to, to create uncontested targets really helped them pick that Fremantle game apart. And I think Chad Warner did say in an interview post-game, we thought the ground would suit us. It certainly did. Uh, they are a serious top four chance. And you're right because there was a stage that uh, when when we followed football back in the the older days, Rowan, that the SCG was definitely a fortress, and you could not beat them. You could not beat them physically, but they went through a phase where Sydney cricket ground didn't suit them, didn't they? Yeah, they were winning. They were losing two, three, four in a row at their home ground. You're absolutely right. The, the the balance of these younger players. We spoke about whether they'd bring Kennedy back. Look. I can see him coming back as the sub or 22nd man and playing a role uh, coming on as the steadier. But I can't see any of these young kids going out of this side. So I think they've got that balance beautifully right. And, of course, the McCartan twins at the back um, have just been a revelation for them. Nothing against Fremantle. This was a master class by Sydney, carried out by an experienced side, good experienced heads, with a, with a touch of bravado and a touch of class. And once again, like Carlton, I think Freo are going to get a lot out of this and be able to sit down and say, well, gee, that uh, we can't under- underestimate anyone and, and this is an area we've got to improve. What happens if someone does this to us again? What are we going to do? Well, do you think they can genuinely uh, mix it with the absolute best in this competition? I, I thought that was a shock win. I thought, uh, uh, no, hang on. Um, North Melbourne was a shock win. I thought that was a um, concerning loss for them because mm. I had them uh, clear favourites. I think uh, I think we both did. Um, no, it's um, these sort of losses six weeks out for the finals are, are perfect timing for improvement. Instructive. I, I'm losses. not getting off them at all. Yeah, I'm not getting off them at all. I think they're coming. Are they coming to uh, Marvel next week, Rowan? 
They I are. Think... They have got a big Friday night clash against Richmond, 7.50 p.m. Marvel Stadium. I, I, I would um, – and they play well there. Richmond don't play well there. That's going to be a, a tell-all story, I reckon, from both clubs, right? So yep. um, I'm not I'm not off Fremantle. I still think they're, um, they're definitely top six in my opinion. Uh, and now, of course, Sydney have forged their way into the – Right now on the live ladder, they're, what, top four of the Swannies, are they, again? Uh, no, not no, uh, top not four, quite. but they're poised to have a decent crack at it. They've got a decent run home, and that, that starts with a home clash at the SCG on Saturday afternoon. They will be taking on Adelaide 1.45pm okay. next Saturday at the SCG. All right, well, there's a massive Saturday of footy in round 18, three games to finish off on the Sunday. Time to talk about them. Sunday kicked off at the MCG with a game between Hawthorne and West Coast. And in the end, a 25-point win to the Hawks. 15-12, defeating West Coast 12-5-77. They had to work pretty hard for this win, though. In fact, uh, just 13 points the difference Still, with only uh, a few minutes left to play, a couple of late goals for the Hawks to McDonald and Luke Bruce um, gave them a margin. Probably more reflective of their dominance, but credit to the Eagles for hanging in there for the bulk of the afternoon. Stars are plenty, though, uh, for the Hawks. None the least, their dynamic um, small forward, Luke Bruce. What a great player he's been for a long, long time now. And he popped up with a uh, equal career best six goals. He was lamenting after the game the fact he's never been able to crack seven. I think that's the third time he's kicked six in a game. But uh, it was just classic Luke Bruce, uh, front and centre of the uh, the contest and uh, a series of beautiful snaps on his right foot. He just never misses when he's given the tiniest bit of space and uh, side on to the goals. He is the master. In fact, if uh, I had to pick someone to crumb for my life, I think Luke Bruce might just about be the man. This was a win engineered really in the second quarter. West Coast had started this game better with four goals to two, but seven straight to the Hawks in the second term to West Coast three certainly gave them an edge. Uh, Two goals each in that third quarter and then four goals to three in the final term. The goals, Bruce six, two to Will Day playing up forward. And he had his moments, particularly early. Two to Connor McDonald, one of a number of impressive young players in the Hawks list. Singles the rest. For the Eagles, three to Jake Waterman, two to Darling, two to Kennedy, two to Shuey playing his longest unbroken string of senior games for the Eagles for, I think, four seasons now and singles the rest for them. So uh, well-deserved win by the Hawks. Credit to the Eagles for hanging in there. Rob, how did you see this one? Uh, just going to um, confirm what you said about Luke Bruce. Um, yeah, I'm with you. If, if you think back, it's a very enigmatic position. It's an inconsistent position. It's also a brilliant position. I saw that today with... Um, and we both saw that today with Cozzy Pickett. But this bloke has been remarkably consistent when he's played on the other fl- other half-forward flanks to the likes of Popolo, um, Popolo, 
Pure Popolo. Pure Popolo. And, of course, a, a a young Rioli was a handy half forward too. Do you know, at the, end of, at the end of his season, I'm going to give you a team of of, of, of names you've struggled with and uh, Jamara Allhagen will be the full forward. Can he be captain? Um, well done, well done to Barras. You know, without McGovern for the rest of the year, he uh, he did a terrific job on Mitch Lewis. Uh, look, two in a row to the Hawks, so a little bit of uh, uh, icing on the cake towards the end of the year. And and you touched on some of their young players. And don't forget this young Josh Ward. I think he was their first pick in the draft. Yeah. Uh, Thirty-four possessions, so another young player moving very, very, uh, very, very positively. Can I just wind back to Barras? Because I thought he was uh, absolutely outstanding. at 30 disposals, 18 marks, wow. 11 intercepts. And as you say, he's done that without Jeremy McGovern, who we won't see for the rest of the year. A uh, couple of other evergreen eagles who were particularly good. Andrew Gaff with 30 disposals. I thought Tim Kelly was pretty decent too with 21 and a goal and uh, worked pretty hard for the eagles. Um I've got a few comments I want to make about the Hawks, but just on the Eagles, they've definitely hung in there a lot better over the last few weeks. And I think it's essentially been on the back of their more senior players. I see, look, they're, they're not short of young players. They're blooding. One who I thought looked all right was Jai Cully. Um, he, they got him in the rookie draft. Yep. Ended up with a dozen disposals. Tackled pretty fiercely. 11 tackles, seven clearances. So he might be value for them. But I've got to say... The younger crop of of eagles who have been blooded now over the the back end of last year and this year, I'm not seeing anything which makes me think this is a new generation emerging. So it's still largely dependent on the performance of those senior players. Do they have another campaign or two left in them, or is this the end of a line? Do you think? Well, you'll certainly well to answer that. I'll answer it. I'll answer it a different way. You'd certainly have the Hawthorne youth over the West Coast Eagles youth. So, have they got the production line coming through? I don't think they have, Rowan. And they're going to be a year older. A darling in Kennedy going again. Uh, Nat Nui, what thirty three next Hearn, year? Thirty four. Hearn, Hearn, another one. Hearn, fantastic. Yeah, I don't see it coming through. Whereas you certainly can see it coming through with Hawthorne. So I'd be I'd be on the Hawks again. We're on them this year, and I'd certainly be on them again. Good to see Mitchell getting back into form. Started on the bench uh, a couple of weeks ago. It's an, always an issue when you've got strong in and under that play similar games. But him and Newcomb, sixty plus possessions. They were really good in and under in that midfield. I reckon they. I mean, we 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 were both bullish about Hawthorne pre-season, but here's why. Just have a look at at the younger players in this side today, and I've just jotted down the whole list in no particular order or significance. But Newcomb, Ward, McDonald, Day, Granger, Barras, Gath, McGuinness, Morris, Morrison, Reeves, and Scrimshaw. Now Scrimshaw's had a few seasons did under you his belt. Ward, or did you miss him? No, no, I said Ward. I had Sorry, him second. Uh, Scrimshaw had a few seasons under his belt, but he's still a relatively young player. Now, there is 11 off the top of my head. You could throw another couple in there, which are, are debatable. Uh, guys have played a, a few seasons. There's plenty of talent in that, uh, in that list I've just read out. Um, I think they have a really bright future, the Hawks. And when they play, uh, you know, look, Sam Mitchell has encouraged them to be aggressive with the footy. 
you know, they look to, to use the corridor. It costs them sometimes, but it also rewards them more often than it costs them. Um, oh, gee, another couple of pre-seasons under the belt of a few of those guys. I think the Hawks aren't far away from returning to a position of strength. And uh, just on a side note, looking at the um, looking at the footage today, um, it was great to see them, well, not welcome back, but uh, embrace uh, Jack Dunstan. Jack yes. Dunstan, who made his uh, way into the rooms after uh, a horrendous uh, week or so with the, the loss of his dad. Yeah. So well done to them and uh, well done to the Hawks. And, uh, well, they might be looking to build on that win next week. They have an engagement against North Melbourne. That is at North Melbourne's second home in Hobart at Blundstone Arena. So battle of the Tasmanian uh, co-tenants, if you like, North Melbourne and Hawthorne. That one, 145 uh, Saturday afternoon. And the Eagles, uh, what have they got coming? They have a home game at Optus Stadium against St Kilda. Uh, that will be absolute last chance saloon for the Saints as far as the finals go. So plenty on the line there for one of those two teams at least 4.40pm Eastern Standard Time next Sunday. All right, that was the first game on the Sunday menu. Let's turn our attention to the second one. Second game of the Sunday afternoon card was in Alice Springs. And, uh, well, I wasn't there, but it looked glorious uh, midwinter's Sunday afternoon at Tregea Park in the Alice. Uh, beautiful backdrop uh, behind one goal there too with uh, the, oh, well, I won't wax lyrical about it. If you saw it, you'll know what I mean. McDonald Rangers. Ah, there you go. Thank you for the geography lesson, Mr. Shaw. Uh, a 14-point win to the Demons over a plucky Port Adelaide in what was a pretty tight and tough Contest scores not easy to come by. The final scores: the Demons twelve goals, 11-83, defeating Port Adelaide ten nine sixty nine. Well, one man stood tall, figuratively, certainly not literally, because he's a little bloke, but he lit up this game. He was electric, and we're talking about Cosy Pickett, who finished with six goals. Uh, he was the difference between victory and defeat for the Demons. Simple as that. He kicked six. Bailey Fritch, two. Ben Brown, two. Singles to Jackson and Melksham. For the power, two to Bergman, two to Boak, two to Marshall. Singles, the rest. It was tight uh, most of the day. 5-7 to 5-3 at half time. Uh, the Demons had uh, forged a narrow 10-point win by three-quarter time and then effectively stole the game with um, uh, a dominant period at the start of the final quarter. Uh, some late goals to the power. In fact, the last uh, three goals of the game to them got them within a couple of kicks, but uh, a little too little, sorry, too late for Ken Hinckley's team. Ken Hinckley wasn't there, incidentally. He was the subject of COVID protocols, so uh, Adrian Bassett, Adrian Bassett? Nathan Bassett. Adrian Bassett. Oh, you've made a blue. Don't tell me, folks. There you go. (laughs) He he, he spent all year uh, bagging my pronunciations and name, and he's – which one did you say? Nathan Bassett. I said Adrian Bassett. Adrian Bassett. He played for Coburg and then Carlton in the late 80s. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) Nathan Bassett, the man in the hot seat, uh, couldn't 
get Port Adelaide home. Uh, you watched this one pretty closely, Robert. What did you make of it? Well, interesting, and this is not disrespectful comment. It looked like because of the heat and the weather that both sides <laughs> decided to play the first half at half pace. It, and it was even mentioned by the commentators, who I usually don't listen to, but um, it had a real pre-season. It felt like February the 14th, Rowan, mm. and uh, that, there may well have been reasons for that, uh, psychologically conserving energy for a taxing second half. Uh, it was certainly played at a lacklustre pace and intensity, and um, the excitement was all, as you said, was centred around Cosie Pickett, whose six goals were absolutely sensational. At one stage there, Port Adelaide looked to control the game. I think they were only 10 points up, but it was a good 10 points up and looked to be controlling territory and the ball movement. And then Melbourne have kicked six on the trot. It was the Melbourne side that we've seen regularly decided to up the ante. They had a lot of space in the forward line, which was very, very concerning for Port Adelaide. They scored easily. Meltram running into open goals, Pickett kicking goals, Fritch kicking goals, and um, they they got their goals very easy. But they did lift the tempo. Petrarca got going. Viney got going. And and they it changed in the last 15 minutes and then the first 15 minutes of the last quarter. Uh Boat got them back into the game. Marshall kicked a, a nice goal. And uh, Port did what they've done a few times, Ryan. They're out of the game and then they make this last-ditch surge in the last 10 minutes of games to go down. But uh, there was a good win by Melbourne. Well, uh, late goals to uh, Boak, to Marshall and to Willem Drew. Now, if I was doing this podcast uh, with my old podcast fine, uh, partner, at this point, he would go, Willem who? And I would say, Willem Drew, <laughs> because that's a gag that never gets old if you're of our generation. I reckon uh, Port will look at some key numbers in this game, Robert, and uh, lament that this might have been the one that got away. They did dominate there for a while just after half time, But have a look at the key statistical areas they won. More disposals, uh, 56 more disposals. Six more inside 50s. Uh, 13 more clearances, uh, two more centre clearances. They won the contested ball, albeit by just one, and they won the uncontested ball by 53. So all those key numbers, uh, they have emerged in front except the one that really matters, the scoreboard. And just as well for Melbourne, because I don't think the Demons have been getting banged for their buck in their forward line of late. We talked about Bailey Fritch. He's been a bit of an issue. He's just got a, a little bit hungry of late. But the forward setup seemed to click a little bit uh, more efficiently for the Demons today. Do you agree? Yes, I do. And that's been the issue that we've discussed on our podcast quite regularly, how they're going to uh, maximise. And one part of that was um, interesting at three-quarter time, or the start of the last quarter with the game very much in the balance, you would assume, although Melbourne have done this quite regularly, so it's not uh, controversial or it's n not out of left field, but I just found it interesting that the first centre bounce at three quarter after three quarter time, uh, they started with Jackson and with with uh, with uh, Gorn very very deep in the goal square. So that was just a a, a side issue. But when you think about it, um, Jackson 
and Gorn's combination in last year's finals allowed Max to go forward and kick goals. So it's not unusual, but I just thought that start the last quarter, the captain would want to take the first bounce, but they went with the young bloke and put Max deep in. It, it just gave them a their, their forward line, and I tell you, made their forward line look quite impressive and mobile, and that was Jake Meltram. Mm. He was smart. He was clever. He used the ball very well. He did a magnificent centre when he could have had a half a selfie shot. I thought he gave them a real different dynamic to their forward line. Costly defeat for the Power, who are now a game behind three sides on nine wins, and those three sides are Richmond, the Bulldogs, and St Kilda. Just having a look at Port's run home, they've got Geelong at home, Collingwood at the G, uh, Richmond at home, Essendon away, and a showdown to finish off. It's a pretty tough run home. Uh, I don't think they're going to make it. Do you give me no, any chance? that's really difficult. There's there's not a, uh, oh, they'll win that one. Mm. No, none, none, of, none of those five are gimmies, it's fair no. to say. Uh, so are they gone, do you think? Did you, yes, they are. Did you say uh, away? It was Essendon home or away? Essendon is away. At Marvel? Correct. Yeah, well, they won't win that one. Yeah, the way no, things are going. I think anyway. they're done. So next yep. week, uh, the challenge starts for them next week, 4.35 p.m. Saturday, Eastern Standard Time. They have got Geelong. Uh, the Cats, of course, fresh off their eighth win in a row. That's going to be really tough, and absolutely they're gone unless they can win that one. The Demons, uh, they have uh, got a challenge uh, up against another contender for that eighth spot. That is the Western Bulldogs, of course. Cool. It is a rematch of last year's grand final. That one, 7.25pm Saturday evening at Marvel Stadium. Uh, interesting clash there. All right. Uh, one game to finish off. Okay. Round 18. Let's do it. Well, you don't know whether to laugh or cry if you're an Essendon supporter these days, Robert, because they have very belatedly found some form to the extent that today was their fourth win from the last five games, a third win in a row, and it came over another finals aspirant in Gold Coast. And it was a comprehensive win by 48 points, no less. Essendon, 14-19-103, smashing the Gold Coast by 48 points, 8-7-55. The goals, four to Stringer, two to Jones, two to Wright, two to Draper, including a fair old contender for goal of the year, and two for Martin singles. The rest for the Suns, two to Casbolt, two to Chole, two to Day, and the other two singles to Lukosius and Rankin. 48 points. To be honest, it probably should have been 10 goals plus because Essendon left at least five or six goals out there, missing some pretty easy shots, set shots particularly. But uh, look, Gold Coast, uh, they've been thereabouts for a month now, but they were they were ordinary today. And Essendon were really good. The Bombers kicked the first four goals of this game. Gold Coast kicked four in a rush to answer back. Uh, that those four coming in five minutes. Aside from that five minutes, Gold Coast basically spent three quarters kicking one goal. They were terrible. They just didn't have the stomach for this. The writing very much on the wall by half time when Essendon led by 30 points. 
Could have been seven, eight goals even then. They led the contested ball count handsomely by then. But it wasn't just contested possession. They worked a lot harder off the ball too. And they led the contested ball, uncontested uh, count, sorry, at halftime by almost 50. Um, Marks inside 50, uh, 19 in the finish for Essendon to just six for Gold Coast. They had 115 more disposals, had 15 more contested possessions and uh, 22 more uncontested possessions, 101 more marks as well. Sorry, 101 more uncontested possessions. I stuffed that up. They had 22 more contested possessions and 60 inside 50s to just 45. It was a smashing. Some great players. Zach Merritt, again, 36 disposals. I thought best on ground in this game was Mason Redmond. It was just terrific, particularly early off halfback, ending up with 34 disposals. Nick Hind, also very good off halfback. A couple of other midfielders joining the party in Andy McGrath with 29. Dylan Shield, who's got back to his best over the last month or so, he had 29 as it was as well. They towed him up, Robert. Took Miller, um, sat on pretty effectively by Caldwell. Uh, he had 28, but not nearly as conspicuous as usual. Noah Anderson had a crack, 24, but Rankin, really quiet, just 11 for him. Matt Rowell, really quiet, just 14 for him. David Swallow, quiet by his prolific standards, 17 for him. It was a smashing, Robert. A little story for you. Remember when Parrish, John Worsfold, used to play Parrish on a half-forward flank and people were worrying whether he'd ever make it? And then there was a stroke of luck. I think it was Shield. He went in the midfield and became this magnificent midfielder, all-Australian um, uh, contention in the midfield. A stroke now, when, of when it went with a stroke of luck, you mentioned Shield there, or assume was you mean Sh- when Shield got injured and Parrish yes. went to the midfield, yes. Yeah, that's. I thought I said that. No. What do I say? You just said the name Shield. When a stroke of luck when Shield got injured. Yep, right? correct. And Parrish went to the midfield and the course of his career changed. Yep. In reverse, something else has happened, Ron. What's that? Parrish has got injured. Cordwell has gone into the midfield and Essendon have finally, finally after, I'm saying seven years, worst fall wouldn't play it, Rutten wouldn't. We've, all, we've, we've found our run with player, that not only stops the opposition jewels in the crown, the likes of Neil and Tuke Miller, but also gets his own ball and gives us perfect balance in the midfield. People have always been critical of the Parrish-Shield-Merritt stats combination. Yeah. And with some reason... Well, they're all, they're all, sudden, they're all similar types of midfielders. You've and now got more balance similar there. type midfields. Yeah. Because we've got this kid called Corwell, so I'm going to be very interested to see what happens when Parrish comes back. I because I tell you who shouldn't go out, and that's Caldwell. Yeah. And at the other end, we finally found we actually recruited this bloke to do these jobs, and he's doing it in yeah. Kelly at halfback. Yeah. So he's got Cameron last week and Rankin, two of the most dynamic half forwards in the competition, and and it's July. Why is this happening in July? I'm. Uh, I, I think the other guy who's also uh, given the midfield a better balance is Hobbs. As young as he is, I think his hardness gives it. Well, a, we dropped him two weeks look. ago after he won the Rising Star. Can't stop, work it out. Stop saying we. It's not we. It's Essendon in this uh, podcast context. No. 
drives me mad what could have been. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Look, the first half, look, we both picked Essendon and the reason we looked at that is because of what you said. It's been a very taxing three games by the Gold Coast. They're still an emerging side. They're still quite young and they lost three game, two games by under a goal and then pinched, had a 40-point comeback. Then they had to get the, on a plane and play Essendon at their favourite venue and they got brained, particularly off Essendon's halfback. You mentioned um, Hind, you mentioned Redmond. They didn't have the energy or the physical capacity to stop Essendon's run. And if you can't stop that, Essendon are going to touch you up. I, I would say this is Gold Coast's worst performance of the season now. I'm thinking about it because the only other one they've been smashed by as much was against Brisbane. And, you know, Brisbane, a bit better, a bit more of an accomplished side than Essendon. Um, I would say this is probably their worst. Yeah, look, it, it, they've been close but no cigar a couple of weeks in a row. Yeah. Then they've pinched one last week. Uh, th- those sort of strings of results can go two ways. They can sort of spur you on to greater deeds and uh, or they can the bottom falls out of it. Uh, pretty disappointing, though, given that they still had very much had um, top eight aspirations. And, in fact, like Port Adelaide, uh, nominally at least, they still have top eight aspirations because they are stuck on eight wins, but still ostensibly just a game outside the eight. So, uh, actually, just while we are talking about them, I'll just give you their run home because I don't think it's as tough as some. They have got... Well, they've got a Q clash next week. That is tough. They've then got West Coast at home, winnable. They've got Hawthorne in Tassie, which, look, if they're fair income, that's winnable. They've got Geelong at home, and they've got the Kangaroos. So they should be winning, at the very least, three of those five games. Um, maybe it's not all said and done for them yet, but today, certainly a backward step for them. And, look, Essendon have won four out of five. What does it mean, though? Why haven't they done this the first four months of a season? Well, they've focused on three things. They've developed a run with player. And that wouldn't have happened. Rowan, there's a stroke of luck in everything. Parrish, you know, um, would, would Cord will be doing these run with roles if Parrish is there? And how are they going to use this? How are they going to get the balance? They've got to bring in Parrish and they've got to bring in Perkins, right? Mm. So they've done a run with. they found a direct route to goal. It's not ring-a-ring-a-rosy handball, um, rack-up possessions. It's direct and quick, and also they're getting back their tackling pressure. So they've got this really good balance on three focus areas, and it's um, it, it's complementing the way they want to play. And it, they've it, got right up forward, giving yeah. them a target. It's not rocket science, but as you said, why now and how now? You know, I, I, it's... it's uh, very interesting to watch them. And next week, mate, I'm telling you, Collingwood, what, won eight in a row? Yeah. They're going to the wire every week. Don't be – we'll do it on the, our preview. Don't be surprised if Essendon get these blokes because they've been up a long, long time, the pies. Yep. Uh, very quick shout-out to uh, to Matt Guelphie. I think uh, Guelphie has been done some really good work over the last month or so as a defensive forward, and uh, I think his hardness has become at the at the ball has become something they really value. So yeah, and they valued Will Snelling last year, but you, you, Guelphie's a much better player. And he's gone past Snelling, so obviously there's going to be some changes. Um, he's struggling. 
Snelling is struggling with the tempo of the game. His kicking's not penetrating enough and they'll get Parrish and um, uh, Perkins back and that'll sort itself out. But I agree with you, Matt Guelphy is a critical player to the balance of the Essendon team and should remain in that side. I'll just say this. Now they appear to have the formula nailed. Sort it out, guys, and stick with it. And uh, when you hit the start of next season, have it sorted out then. Because this is far too reminiscent of 2018 when they wasted that season as well. Finally found a sort of winning formula over the back half of the season. And uh, that was another finals, a potential finals opportunity gone begging. So get your act together, guys, in terms of the planning. And I'm talking about the coaching crew there. Anyway. Uh, Nice balance at the moment and well-spoken Rowan Connolly. All right. Four wins from five for the Bombers. And just quickly, as you mentioned, they have Collingwood next week. And that game is 3.20 p.m. Sunday afternoons, Collingwood. Uh, home game. The Suns have the Q clash against Brisbane, seven ten pm Eastern Standard Time, Saturday evening. That is it for Round 18. Thanks once again to our uh, brilliant podcast partners, official podcast partners. That is Palmerbet, where you get tackle busting benefits all this AFL season. Always remember to gamble responsibly. If you want to support our podcast financially, you can do that at the ACAST supporter page and you'll find a link there wherever you listen to the Footyology podcast or become, or both, become a Footyology, official Footyology patron at the many links on the Footyology website, footyology.com.au. That is thanks to Patreon, who are wonderful supporters of independent writing, journalism and publishing. $7 Australian per month gets you access to everything we do, written stuff, podcasts, live streams, the lot, all there for your enjoyment, not just footy either. We do other sport we do politics, we do social commentary, we do arts, we do entertainment. We do it all here at Footyology. Always the focus on quality, though, not clickbait, which uh, would be a refreshing change in the current media environment. Thanks for your input again, once again, Mr Shaw. And uh, we'll see you back next Wednesday morning for our preview of what should be a big Round 19. We'll see you then.